Welcome to Save Me From My Shelf, a literature podcast where we take classic tomes off their pedestal to make you less anxious about reading them. Our jokes come from a place of love and for a specific teaching purpose. However, if you think that making fun of great literature, and maybe some mild swearing, is offensive, this might not be the podcast for you. Hi everyone. Hi guys! We have a new sound this week. I wonder if anyone's going to notice. There's some audio buffs out there that are going... That's mildly improved. So we did it. We've released our inaugural episode, and um, I feel like we, we didn't really celebrate, did we, with it? Um, I feel like we you should... might not have. <laughs> spraying champagne around. I was going to uh, say, are yeah. you like smashing bottles of champagne over the podcast's hull, which is just my office? Yeah, well, if you're wondering <laughs> what that was outside. <laughs> um, yeah. So, in addition to a mildly new sound, a slightly improved sound, we also have a slightly new setup here. Uh, Daniel's actually going to join me in the recap, so rather than him just cracking wise while I frantically try to remember everything that happened in a book, he is going to actually join me in, in relaying that plot to you. So, did I, are you saying that I broke you in the first episode and you just love plot now? Um, yes. This is the twist! The plot was twist. <laughs> No, I just wasn't sure if you listened to the first episode and went, this podcast will never get off the ground if people have to listen to that much vocal fry. I need to step in. So, Daniel, what is our, what is our text today? Um, Othello by Mr. William Shakespeare. So it goes without saying, I'll say this every time, we're going to spoil this play for you. The trigger warnings, violence against women, racism... Um, there, there's also quite a bit of marital strife that I found really upsetting reading this. There's a lot of, um, domestic conflict in a lot of guises here. Yeah. And I should also note that there's a fair amount of sex stuff, so we might, you know, work a little bit blue. Yeah, in our jokes. Quite, uh, well, we're, I mean, we are, stuff we it. are playing off of the, the text material, so it's not, we haven't just decided to, you know, turn this into a smut podcast. That's coming later. That's episode 12. Um, have you read this play before or seen it before? Because this is the first time for me. I, I really didn't know much of anything about it except the one famous scene toward the end. Um, yeah, I, uh, I did it for my A-levels, actually. Um. So it should just go without saying as well that Daniel and I are not Shakespearean scholars. We're Victorian scholars, or 19th century anyway. So we'll do our best, but also please feel free to look up stuff on your own. We will try to caveat bits where we're a little uncertain. I'm not ashamed to admit, in a couple of parts that um, confused me very deeply, I had to look up the spark note just to make sure I was reading it right. I just thought that that surely cannot be what's being said here, and it was. Zunes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. So it opens. Um, well, I don't want to. I don't want to get too far into that. But it opens with um, some old-fashioned swear words. So if you ever see zunes or um I, it opens in this text with splood apostrophe s and then the word blood that's um in the old days swearing used to mostly just be blasphemy so what they're saying there is god's blood or god's wounds should you be bleeping out and splood i will do uh, yeah thank you for you yeah, so yeah no one's gonna know what we're on about good <laughs> all right so shakespeare i've been to shakespeare's birthplace so i'm pretty much an expert <laughs> uh, I saw the bed, the second best bed and everything. Uh, and you're like, wow, that really is yeah. second grade. I, I can really imagine a slightly better, better bed. <laughs> uh, I didn't realise that, as per usual, Othello is not an original Shakespearean story. That it's based on a, a Italian story by Giraldi Cinthio. But the plot's slightly different in that. Iago, um, Iago fancies 
Desdemona instead of Desdemona, uh, rather than it's just kind of just some kind of instigator. And uh, he he and he and uh, the more the unnamed more kill her. So that's that's the big difference. Oh, he doesn't even have a name in that version. No, yeah, it's only. Uh, it's only Iago and Desdemona, which apparently means ill-fated soul. So. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah Shakespeare, very few of his plots are wholly original. Things like Romeo and Juliet, he has cribbed off of people plagiarizing who were cribbing off of people who were plagiarizing. So there's, um, there's a long history of him working sort of more with, it's, would you call it folklore rather than straight-up plagiarism? Because these stories have been told so many times. Right, so should we get on then to yeah, the plot summary? Hit me. Okay, so I'll, I'll start out here. So it opens with these two guys in the middle of the night, sort of wandering around. Their, their names are Iago, who's our anti-hero. He's really almost more the protagonist than um, than Othello is. Uh, and and his buddy, Rodrigo, who's the sort of... He's another himbo character, and he's just mm, a big, rich, yeah. muscly dummy. Yeah. And so they're... Um, they both really hate this guy named Othello, and there are a few reasons for that. And the first reason is that Othello is black, which rubs them the wrong way. They're Venetian, and Othello's black and successful, so obviously they don't care for him. Secondly, Othello has secretly, they've just found out, married a white woman named Desdemona, and Rodrigo was trying to get with Desdemona, so he is livid. And the third reason is that Iago, who's also a soldier, uh, has sort of been um, petitioning Othello, who's this general, this really successful general, to be put in a position of command. And instead, Othello has gone for this dweeby guy named Michael Cassio. And so I know you and I are going to cast the film version of this at the, at the end of the podcast, but I do want to make one little casting prediction right here because this really has shaped my reading. So... Timothée Chalamet. <laughs> no, he doesn't need any more work. Okay. Um, so I know in, in the text itself, they say that Michael Cassio is really handsome and smooth, but I'm actually picturing... Well, they do. They say he's really good with the ladies, he's really attractive. Oh, smooth like... Hey. I think he meant like he kind of slips over or what? Yeah, he's, he's just a sphere. Yeah, yeah. Um, a pebble. <laughs> uh, but no, I'm picturing actually a Michael Sarah type, the sort of guy who you just know would be like in the back half of a horse costume. That level of dork. Because they talk about how he has no command. He's basically... Um, well, yeah. Iago says that. You're, uh, you're casting it according to Iago's preferences. Let me have this. So Iago says that he hates Othello. You know, Othello is basically taken everything from me, all I have left is my hatred for Othello. What I'm going to do is I'm going to serve under him, buddy up to him, and ruin his life. And then he and Rodrigo just high-five for like eight minutes. I might be editorializing slightly, but they're like, this is, this is a great plan. We're going to destroy him. So they're like, the first way we can do this is go to... Othello's secret new wife's house. Her name is Desdemona. She's a high-ranking Venetian lady. Her dad's really rich. Her dad, Brabantio. And so they, they go to Brabantio's house and they just sort of scream like drunks in the night. They're like, hey, dummy, you're getting robbed. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? You've woken me up. What are you doing? And they say, okay, so this is, this is where things get kind of crude um, sexually quite early. They say, you're getting robbed, quote, even now, now, very now, an old black ram is tupping your white you, and you'll have your daughter covered with a Barbary horse. So very racially charged language, just very um sort of gross imagery. 
and he laments sort of being a father and he tells everyone do not trust your daughters they will they will betray you the but the funny thing is that rodrigo is initially because it's like Romeo and Juliet, isn't it? They're just kind of shouting up to the balcony and Rodrigo's incredibly uh, kind of timid and he's all like, ah, oh, excuse me, excuse me, I went to alert you or something. And then Brabantio's like, you what? <laughs> and Iago, that's where Iago comes out of all the kind of like, you know, the, the end of the pier material, the uh, the kind of bawdy stuff. Yeah. That, that really kind of gets Brabantio's blood boiling, doesn't it? Y didn't you and I, you had a great term for this, didn't you? You and I talked about this balcony scene, this Romeo and well, Juliet yeah, pairing. The unholy balcony scene. Yeah, I really the, like that. The antithesis of it, yeah. Yeah, they're, it's just all dudes, none of whom fancy each other. Yeah, kind of just shouting a lot of smut into the yeah. <laughs> streets. It, well, the problem is, like, when I went to see this once, uh, this scene, everybody was just laughing all the way through this scene. Oh, no. Oh, well, because uh, this is actually meant to be vaguely funny. Well, yeah, I mean, it's offensive, but Iago is also, like, funny, and this guy was, like, a funny performer. Yeah. Uh, playing Iago. But that just set the wrong tone for the rest of the tragedy, and that's... But tra <laughs> his tragedies often start out really funny, and then they yeah. get really dark. Well, that's why a lot of people but... didn't like Shakespeare, wasn't it? A lot of, kind of, uh, foreign readers. Like, yes. Voltaire trashed him for, like, why are you putting a joke in the... Why, why do you keep putting jokes in, in the tragedy? What next happens is that... We've had the whole Balcony episode... They all, uh, Brabantio takes his case to the uh, Duke, and Brabantio's like, you know, this guy's been bewitching my daughter, you know, he kind of uses all sort of, uh, you know, thou hast enchanted her, he kind of confronts Othello and says that. So, wait, 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 so, uh, is this, do you think that this is a pun, or is this just my modern understanding of it? They, so they accuse Othello of using witchcraft, are they literally accusing him of black magic? Well, I mean, I think that was an ambiguity, wasn't there, or that was the thing that Shakespeare was playing on, that... There was a lot of connotations about like the devil being black, like literally, yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. So I think you you might be right. I think that is a. I think the 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 basis for Brabantio's ac accusation is partly racial. But it's like it's not a visual pun. It's a sort of um. It's a different sort of conceptual, conceptual kind of pun. pun. Yeah. And I just thought that is that tacky or is that you know. Uh, the Doge, um, gets Desdemona in. Othello and Desdemona are kind of like no. This is this is the real deal. You know. And she's all like, Dad, I'm sorry, but, you know, I decided to have a secret wedding. I didn't invite you. Couldn't, couldn't afford that many, uh, you know, salmon, salmon starters or whatever. <laughs> I, don't, I don't quite know what, why it was a secret marriage. I suppose well, because she knew that people would be funny about it. She maybe. knew that people would be funny about it, but also there's that weird bit where they find out that Othello is her dad's friend. So Othello talks a little bit about how he won over Desdemona. And he does this thing, right, where he says, I thought this was so funny, where he's like, Duke, my liege, you know, I'm not much of a talker, which is the oldest trick in the book. But I'm just a simple country that is the Venetian joke. general. Okay, <laughs> I knew you were going to do it, that's this. why I said it. Oh, Daniel, <laughs> undercutting me at yeah. every turn. Yeah, I just had, I wrote, I'm just a humble country general. Yeah. Damn it. Um, but no, but he, he says that he's not much of a talker, but then he, he tells does everyone. Does a big soliloquy. He does a big soliloquy and tells About them, what a great speaker he is. You know, Othello... He's got the gift of the gab, to say the very least, and that's what that was the only magic, the only witchcraft he used on Desdemona. He kind of he told his kind of exotic tales of uh, cannibals and things, didn't he? So, are you saying that plot has its uses after all? It's a hell of an aphrodisiac. That's at least what we're learning. Well, evidently, here. yeah. Um, so, I mean, Brabantio is not especially pleased, and. Yeah, who wouldn't love their daughter marrying their weird middle-aged yeah. friend? <laughs> well, 
But the Doge is kind of all up for it and says, well, he's like, oh, my daughter would love that too or something, doesn't he? And then yeah. he, he, it's funny that he's like, he speaks in kind of this slightly uh, hackneyed verse when he's talking about the romance. And then he like says, well, the real reason we're all here is uh, because of policy. And he goes back into um, prose then. And he's like, the Turks are invading Cyprus, which is a Venetian colony. And we need you, Othello, to go and, uh, you know, show them what for. So uh, we yeah. kind of have this rapid kind of uh, switch from kind of romantic uh, issues to um, matters of state, which is quite, I thought it was quite a funny bit. Well, that's, that's one of my notes here. It's not, not so much even um, necessarily romantic issues and matters of state, but the, the very uh, clear overlap or the sort of muddying of waters between love and war, and mm. they both are sort of All funneled fair. in. And of course there's the, the, key, scene, the key line is, is Brabantio, isn't it, when he goes, uh, look to her more if thou hast eyes to see. She has deceived that her father and may thee, and that's kind of the, the first kind of. Yeah, thanks, Dad. I I was sort of interested here because there's the bit where the the Duke is like, okay, Othello, you have to go to war. I don't have time for all this domestic whatever. And he's like, well, can I please bring my wife with me to war? And he's like, well, I don't really normally allow that. And he's like, no, 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 you don't get it. I'm I love her for her mind. I'm too old to be sexual. And I just thought that, I mean, we should come back to this a bit in the analysis section at the end, but I thought that was, that was really interesting, especially because at the end of, I think it's at the end of this bit as well, Iago says there's a rumor that Othello slept with Iago's wife. Yeah. Amelia. Yeah. So there's, there's a whole sort of like, is Othello sexual or not? That's, and that's conflated with a lot of issues of race. Well, I was well, going to, yeah, that's because so. in the Elizabethan plays, generally, quote unquote, Moors were associated with sort of uh, lustfulness or whatever, weren't they? And so it, Shakespeare's deliberately undercutting these sort of stereotypes in a kind of like, aha, but no. It makes me think, you know, in, uh, <laughs> in Our Mutual Friend, where Dickens was like, sorry, Jews, about Fagin. <laughs> Here's a really, really lovely, like, in, improbably lovely Jewish guy to kind of counter it. There's this sort of slightly tacky, aha, but you see, he doesn't... You know, I'm not racist, look yeah. how well... I have many black generals. <laughs> but, um, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. That's the final bit, though, isn't it? Iago has this big soliloquy where he kind of outlines his uh, evil plan in the... Uh, Slightly silly Kenneth Branagh version. There's all kind of thunder and lightning going off at this oh, point. Oh, you're kidding! No. And the Iago's all kind of, you know, got his got his fingers together in a kind of Mr. Burns type way. I'm gonna make them fall out, Othello and Desdemona. That's the kind of big. Yeah. Re he reveals what his plan is going to be, and uh, yeah. So let's, he's gonna let's see how it turns out. <laughs> So the the next bit is sort of long story short. We end we open in Cyprus. Everyone has landed there, so the entire cast more or less has completely relocated. And we open what, what I thought was really interesting. The Turkish Turkish fleet has already been defeated, so we don't even actually see just the sink. war. And they didn't even properly fight. So it, I think it's revealed that the whole other army has um, been destroyed in a storm. Yeah. And so it's just really interesting. So now you have all these people here. I don't know if they got all their bloodlust up and nowhere to sort of vent it, or I'm not sure if there's some sort of colonialist reading of, well, we're, we're further away from home and things get kind of weird yeah. there. There's it's... a bit of a sort of Wild West vibe, isn't there, once yeah. they get to Cyprus? So we meet Cassio, who's revealed to actually just be a really nice guy. Um, he's completely loyal to Othello, if a bit of a dweeb. 
And so when Desdemona lands, Cassio is really polite to her, as you would be to your boss's wife. And that feeds perfectly into Iago's plan to convince Othello that Desdemona and Cassio are having an affair. So um, part of Iago's plan is also to get Rodrigo to be his little pawn, and he knows that Rodrigo is in love with Desdemona. Um, and so he says, oh, you know, Desdemona and Othello, they've only been married for, I guess, what, a few weeks at this point. And he says, she's gotten sick of Othello already and gotten the hots for Cassio and his DTF. And so you should definitely, um, are you looking at me quizzically? You didn't, no. do you know what? No. Oh, I'm sorry. Is that too rude? No, I don't know what it means. Uh, it means, um, you should all Google that on Urban Dictionary. It's uh, down, down to, to fornicate. Yeah, right, okay, so yes. So Iago tells Rodrigo, you should really uh, provoke Cassio into a fight and get him fired. And Rodrigo, who's instantly jealous that he wasn't Desdemona's backup plan, sort of sees the red mist descend. And one thing that gets revealed in this whole early section introducing Cassio is that we're told he cannot hold his drink. So again, I'm picturing, I'm sorry, I'm picturing Michael Sarah at his first frat party getting rip-roaring drunk on one and a half wine coolers. And, uh, you know, uh, Iago hears this little tidbit and he just goes, interesting. So that night, Othello and Desdemona go off to have sex for what's presumably the first time. I think that's that's alluded to, even though they might have been married for days or weeks at this point. We're not really sure. And there's a party to sort of celebrate the sinking of the Turkish fleet, even though I don't think these guys really did anything. They didn't really have much of a hand in that. But so Othello tells Cassio, you're my second in command. You need to just keep everything chill. It's for all intents and purposes, my wedding night. And so Iago instantly peer pressures Cassio into drinking. He loses his damn fool mind and gets into a fight with Rodrigo just as Iago had hoped. So we have, we have people drinking too much. We got a fight erupting. We have people very conspicuously fornicating in another room. This party sounds terrible to me. I would not want to be anywhere near this. Yeah, no one's playing Ludo or anything. Exactly, yeah. yeah I think you and I are much more a quiet party. Othello, they could be playing Othello, the... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, the there, game. There's, there's a room, there's a side room where the yeah. tabletop games are happening. Yeah. And so Othello storms back in like, y'all are interrupting my fornication. What is happening? They tell him that Cassio and Rodrigo are getting into a fist fight or what have you. And Othello serves some real dad energy here where he's like, Cassio, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. You're fired. And Cassio's full of, like, all this horrible self-loathing afterward. He goes on this whole long diatribe about how drinking is man's downfall, blah, blah, blah. And Iago comforts him by saying, you know, it would be a great idea and help you get your job back. You should cozy up to Desdemona, Othello's new beloved wife. Get her to be your best friend. Get, get real cozy with her, in fact. And she'll, Othello will listen to whatever she says. You know, she'll help you get your job back. And he even said, Iago also says that he's going to make his own wife, who's sort of Desdemona's kind of lady-in-waiting, um, to, to pressure Desdemona to take Cassio's side. Mm. As Iago predicted, Cassio starts hanging around uh, Desdemona, um, and very quickly Othello sees them together, at which Cassio kind of slinks off. Uh, As you would do when you've just been fired yeah, by a guy. In disgrace. Iago really starts to kind of, you know, strongly suggest that Desdemona is unfaithful to Othello. Um, we get all of the sort of um, 
green-eyed monster stuff as well. There's a lot of kind of yeah. That's that's the first in, uh, instance of that phrase ever being used. Yeah, jealousy that's... is a green-eyed monster. So if you're ever wondering where that phrase came from, it's here, friend. Yeah, or he, he might nicked it off someone else, but. What? Shakespeare nicked things off of people? I think so, yeah. Jealous people. Um, <laughs> it does that, it's an apophysis, isn't it? I was thinking in the old uh, rhetorical thing that Iago's all kind of like, I'm not going to say that Desdemona's not unfaithful, because there's not enough evidence. But, you know, yeah. if I were to, you know, he does a lot of that sort of stuff, doesn't he? And Othello kind of... Well, that's why he's so, you know, he's very good at suggesting these things because he leads Othello right up to the conclusion and then makes Othello jump and take that yes, final yes, step. Yes, exactly, yeah. And so he thinks it's his idea and something that he has discovered himself rather than Othello leading him all but to the final step. Iago. Oh, sorry, yes. Meanwhile, Othello um, drops a hanky. You mean Desdemona. Meanwhile, Desdemona drops a hanky. We've all been there, haven't we? You know, a tournament or whatever, you know, to, oh. for your favorite night. Well, when I'm trying to get men to court me in the street and I just drop a handkerchief exactly. over and over and over again to see how many like blokes will pick it up. Magicians uh, get in people's pockets. Uh, yes, uh, yes. Exactly, yeah. Um, so Desdemona drops a hanky. Turns out it's quite a special hanky, though, that's the problem. Um, and Emilia, Iago's wife, picks it up and is like, um, well, my husband's been asking me... If, to get this hanky for years, not sure why, but you know maybe this will get me back in his good books because he seems to have some idea that Othello and me are having an affair. So Amelia gives it to Iago, and Iago in turn deposits it in Cassio's lodgings. I imagine if you you were seeing this for the first time and you had no idea what was going on in this play, you're like, what is this about a handkerchief? This is, what what is happening around this? But they don't explain it that much at first. Mm. Um, you just know that there is something important happening over a really, really trivial thing. By the end, Othello is a nervous wreck, isn't he? And uh, Iago kind of, he's like, you're the only one I can trust, Iago. And we have this kind of sort of nightly kind of perverse kind of corrupted version of a sort of knightly oath of loyalty and... Well, uh, can we talk a little bit about one of the things that Iago says to Othello? Because I have some thoughts about it in this particular scene. And that's the fact that he's like, hey, Othello, Cassio and I shared a bed the yeah, other night, which... Queer reading, hooray! And so Iago's like, okay, Cassio and I were in bed together the other night. And I know that that's probably just logistics of soldierly well, life. I lay with him, though. That, yeah, I, think I that's lay with ambiguous, him. that's ambiguous, right? Yes. that's the old way of saying... We... Slept, well, it's a similar euphemism to, yeah, uh, yeah fornicating, yeah. Um, but, he, but Iago says, so Cassio and I were sleeping in bed, and he spoke in, in his sleep in perfect sentences, and he said that he's in love with Desdemona, and they're sleeping <laughs> perfect, together. Perfect, I am a bit pentameter. Yeah, and then, and then also he started kissing me real hard, and then, and then I was like, uh, this is the bit where I had to look up in spark notes. Does, he, does Iago tell Othello... And then Cassio jumped on top of me and started, you know, <laughs> humping him a little bit. This is like... What a, is the line? I don't have it. Great. But, um, but <laughs> I don't Stop have it. Stop everything. Let me get it. 
No, carry on. But this is like a child making up a lie, and Othello just swallows it wholesale. So, He's just yep, like, good, yep, good yep, wow, yeah. that sounds like total proof. And I'm just reading this going, uh, this cannot actually be what I'm reading. I, I really did have to double check this. Laid his leg over my thigh, and sighed and kissed and then cried. Cursed fate that gave thee to the more. So Othello, who's now super suspicious and starting to go mad, confronts Desdemona saying, Hey, can I borrow a hanky? You know, that really specific used hanky my mother had? It's his mother's hanky, her special love used hanky. hanky that he gave to Desdemona as a token of his love. And poor Desdemona, who has no idea of all these machinations and genuinely did just lose it, is like, oh no, I've lost it. And Othello goes from zero to 60 and goes, oh, you lost it, huh? Well, sucks to be you. Because a witch sewed it back in the day and said that any woman who owned this hanky and then lost it was a dirty tramp, which is an oddly specific linen-based curse. And that they get into a huge fight and it's really awful. And then meanwhile, Cassio goes to see his mistress, who is the courtesan Bianca, and he says, Hey, I found this really pretty handkerchief a in my room. great hanky. Yeah, I just found this really amazing hanky in my room, and I'm not going to question how it got there, but do you think... Because you wouldn't. Yeah, because you wouldn't, yeah. It's got strawberries on it, hasn't it? But he says, do you think you could copy the pattern and sew a new one for me? And the thing is, like, right, this is this is why I cast him in my head as Michael Sarah because I don't want to kink shame anyone, but most men do not go to sex workers to hire them to carry out a little light embroidery. Mm. So while Bianca and Cassio are having this whole weird, long, drawn-out exchange about this hanky... It's hard to play, isn't it? There's a... It takes forever, and again, this is just playing so weirdly perfectly into Iago's hands, where I'm like, why would you go to your beautiful courtesan mistress in the street to talk about this? Where it, like, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry, but it doesn't. And so Othello and Iago are in the street, and they see them having this whole discussion, and they see Cassio waving around this handkerchief, and Othello's like, it's my mom's hanky, my mom and my wife's hanky. Um, and he says... So Othello says to Iago, I wish I could kill him for nine years, which is the most hilarious and arbitrary length of time. Yeah. Not a full decade. Not, no, 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 that's too much, Daniel. Yeah. That's too much. But I've nine got things, years. I've got things to do. Exactly. And, well, and Iago responds with, no, no, no. You, kill, you go kill your wife. Like, that's a totally normal thing to suggest. I'll go kill Cassio because we're such great buds. I'll really take a hit for the team. Don't you worry mm. about it. And so he, he finds Desdemona, they get into another really horrible fight. Like, he says some of the meanest stuff in the world mm -hmm. to her. Um, and then Rodrigo, there's this whole subplot that we're not going to cover here where Iago's been um, sort of Ponzi scheming Rodrigo. To <laughs> give, yes. you know, he's, he's managed to convince him to give him his whole fortune. Thus do I always make fools my purse. Yes, yeah. he like, man, he's like, now convert your money into jewels, now give me the jewels, and now hide the jewels. Like, there's a yeah. whole like jewel <laughs> subplot that I honestly... He is a real wrong one, isn't he, Iago? He's, Iago, are, yeah. are, you just, are you just figuring that out now? No, I don't really care about all the, the manipulation stuff, but when he's taking some rich guy's money, then I'm upset. So, Rodrigo's just starting to figure out that... But uh, you see that I'd be married to Desdemona by now. <laughs> I like that when you do a stupid accent, you do an American one. Admittedly, it's not mine, but yeah. uh, that's, that's revealing well, a whole... Gee, boy, sir. 
<laughs> so he's starting to figure out that Iago might just be using him, and Iago manages to wiggle out of that. He's sort of the Teflon Don of his day, and he even manages to convince Rodrigo to kill Cassio, the thing that Iago just promised Othello that he would do so he wouldn't get his hands dirty. I was thinking, buddy, there's so many handkerchiefs flying around this place. Get your hands dirty. They'll be clean in no time. It's fine. Mm. That was a linen-based joke that didn't work. You're but, just staring but, at me with blank I think there aren't that many hankies around. <laughs> I think it... I think... I mean, we've not had the hanky lineup scene yet, have we, where uh, Othello has to identify... There's like five hankies. And Othello's like, yeah, it's number three. Twas number okay. three. Good. Just, just double with checking. the strawberries on it. <laughs> Sorry, I just... I'm very paranoid about this. Um, about the recording. Okay. The hanky lineup is the best joke I've ever... Made or will make. You uh, trashed it. A man's, a man's wealth and money are trash. But his hanky joke lasts forever. <laughs> this is getting cut. This is all perfect. I was going to say there's that funny bit where Amelia, or sort of funny bit, where Amelia and Desdemona have a little chat during this uh, kind of episode in the play. And uh, Amelia's like, oh, men. They're all but stomachs, and we all but food. They eat us hungrily, and when they are full, they belch us. Yeah, that's um. Th this play is, as I said, very crude, yeah. isn't it? It's very bodily focused and things like that. So we have this kind of uh, eve of eve of the denouement kind of uh, scene, don't we? Where Desdemona is um, preparing to go to bed with Othello. Which I find crazy, given that they've just had two huge fights in a row, and she still assumes that they're going to have sex after this. Like, negging really does work. Maybe that's the yeah, moral of the really play. Yeah, he should be on the sofa, shouldn't he? Uh, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, she and Amelia have a kind of melancholy chat uh, in the way that they have been already. And Desdemona talks about her um, mother's servant, called Barbary. So I was kind of wondering if she might be. It's the implication that she's from Africa as well. Yeah. Um, and she uh, was also spurned by her partner and kind of had devised this song called the Willow Song uh, that Desdemona now sings about sort of thwarted love or kind of spurned love. Um, and, yeah, uh, do, I mean, so that, that to me, that struck me as an example of an epithalamium. Do you, do you know what that is? Yeah, is that a kind of pre conjugal song, uh, you know, in this case, a sort of bitter version. It's typically a song sung about or before a wedding, and often, to some extent, um, a wedding night. Uh, that, that's my understanding of it anyway. Um, but yeah, you're right, this, this is a dark version yeah, of that. Yeah, it's a sad bit, isn't it? I bit. Well, there's a lot of talk there about them getting the marriage linen and putting it on the bed, and Desdemona says that even if she dies before her time, she wants to be buried in her marriage sheets as a funeral shroud. And I'm just like, is this, is this play sponsored by Linen? Linen for all of your estrangement needs. That's linen. Uh, Thomas Reimer, the 17th century literary critic, late 17th century, said when he saw Othello, he was like, is the moral of the story, look after your linen. You know, <laughs> so uh, I think you might be right. So while this is all happening, while, while Desdemona and Amelia are having their sort of weird introspective about linen. Um, Rodrigo and Iago are out hunting for Cassio, 
and they do it in the dark. Rodrigo jumps Cassio. He's wearing some surprise armor that they weren't anticipating, so he does get hurt quite badly, but not killed, as, as Iago had intended. And Rodrigo, who's the perpetual patsy, does get stabbed in return. Doesn't Iago give him a stab as well? He kind of goes, and then like kind of... To tie up loose ends yeah, and yeah. things, yeah, and yeah. Then, um, yeah. Well, yeah, because there's that great bit where Iago's like, as far as I'm concerned, either of them could die. I'm sitting pretty. Yeah, he's, exactly. Oh, he's so evil, isn't he? Twiddling his little moustache. Um, so then we cut back to the the big scene in the play, right? This is the most famous scene. So Othello, we cut back to their his bedroom with Desdemona. He walks in, sees her sleeping, and he sort of fully rationalizes to himself how important and noble it is that he kills her. Mm. And he also says, he's like... If she is this beautiful while she's sleeping, think about how hot she's gonna be in death, and maybe I'll just have a little bit of sex with her after, because Jesus of Nazareth, this guy. What's the line where he says that? Look it up in the book, man. Okay. Oh, I will kill thee and love thee after. Yeah, I will kill thee and love thee after, you absolute creep. Okay. I thought he might just be like, hmm. You know, I thought it was just like that. Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, see, the thing is, I'll right. I'll do in a steam after. I thought it was like that. <laughs> I don't think so, right? So, okay. Desdemona wakes up, sees her husband leering at her from the doorway, and she's like, Hello, you. Oh, I thought the implication was sex now? Yeah. Um, okay. And his response is, Have you said your prayers? And she says, yeah. And he's like, great. My last gift to you is for you to get absolved for your sins before I kill you. So if you have any more sins to confess or prayers to make, you know, smoke them if you got them. And then he, does he strangle her or smother her? That seemed slightly unclear to me. He does something anyway. He so right at this moment, Iago is pretty much on top of the world, isn't he? Cassio has been run through. Rodrigo's dead. And he has Rodrigo's money. He has Rodrigo's dosh. Desdemona's been killed, then Amelia turns up in uh, Othello's bedchamber and is kind of a bit like, oh dear, you know, <laughs> she's, she's pretty, pretty horrified. All the big names turn up, Ludovico and Graciano and Iago's also there, and... Uh, they arrest Othello, Yeah, they basically. arrest Othello. Then we have this uh, bit where Amelia starts to kind of reveal aspects of Iago's mm. plot and how she took the hanky and things, and she starts to kind of... She kind of horrified realises that she's been an, an accessory of Iago's scheme, and um, Iago kind of flips and it's kind of suddenly reveals himself as this kind of psychotic, and everyone kind of realises what a bastard he is. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so he, he... She narked, basically, yeah. on her husband. Well... <laughs> It's, it's that great bit where she says my husband three times and they just kind of, they carry on, keep talking. She just keeps going, my husband. And she's yeah. going, you can tell that she's going to work it out and like, oh my, what have I done? That's you a know? great moment That's for very, an actress. That's uh, very disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I said narked and I actually meant she grossed, as you would say. You've been grossing. Yeah. Um, it's more cockney, isn't it? But um, the, Yeah, that's what you are, aren't you? That's, yes, that's what yes. I hear when you talk. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I forgot that. Meanwhile, a kind of Othello... Turns out he's got a weapon on him. He runs Iago through, but Iago survives. And then does his kind of weird bit where he talks about um, seeing how he saw a Venetian attacked in the Levant by a Turk. 
and how Othello says, I smote him thus and stabs himself in the, uh, well, stabs himself and dies. And everyone's kind of like, well, what a dreadful, what, oh bloody period, they say, don't they? What a dreadful uh, nightmare. And yeah, that's, and that's, we were, that's the end. We were having such a good time. Yeah, yeah this play is a stone cold bummer. Um, yeah. yeah, Othello's like, two out of ten, would not smother wife again, offs himself. Yeah. What I find really interesting, though, is that they, so, they arrest Othello, Othello manages to stab himself, they arrest Iago when Amelia tattles on him, basically, not tattles, that sounds like a, she's very right to tell them mm -hmm. what she's done, but he's, Iago stops speaking, he kind of disappears, like, they mm -hmm. arrest him, he's stabbed but will probably survive, but he just kind of disappears from the play that he's actually the lead in, like, he Irish goodbyes <laughs> his own yes. play, yeah. and then that's the end and most people are dead and he kills amelia like he let's not oh, forget yes, that of course. sorry yeah. he, he actually stabs his wife and i find this a little silly in that he could just call her a liar and say she was in cahoots with desdemona mm. well the end so um i <laughs> i assumed with a shakespeare tragedy that i was gonna just plumb the foulest depths of the human condition, and in that, I think I was successful. I I don't. I honestly didn't know what to make of this play. What is the What is the moral? What is the point? It was very good, but it was very disturbing. Yeah, it's a pretty misanthropic. And, and for why? Word. Yeah, a bloody farce, as yes. Rama said. Yeah. So, do you want to cast this now? Should we cast this play just for by way of a lark? Uh, sure. No, okay, so I have I have a cast that's really unorthodox, <laughs> but I want to see if it would work. So, okay, so for Othello, we need a black man who plays a believable warrior, who also seems like a really nice guy, but somebody who maybe has just the tiniest hint of naivete about mm, him. Yeah. He needs to be a warrior, but also believably gullible. I would love to see The Rock in this role. I would love to see The Rock's Othello. Oh, really? As Iago, real unconventional choice, but I'm thinking if you're going to cast Iago, you need somebody who could actively hoodwink everyone. Who's the nicest seeming guy we all know? I would love to see Michael J. Fox as Iago. Just this sweet little pipsqueak. Like, you would believe every word out of his mouth. I thought you were going to say that guy from uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Rick Moranis, he yeah. was, he, I thought about him, yeah. but you need a little bit more charisma. You need a little more pizzazz okay. in your Iago. Right. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll take a Rick Moranis. He's more Cassio, in, or your interpretation of <laughs> Cassio, maybe. No wonder um, the Venetians uh, lost the empire with, with Moranis and uh, Fox hey, on their hey. side. And uh, Desdemona, I was thinking we need somebody who's real wide-eyed. Um, I was thinking an Anne Hathaway circa 2010. You know, just somebody who's a little bit of, comes across as maybe a little dopey, a <laughs> right. little, little sweetheart, doesn't think about things that hard. No. Uh, yeah. Uh, you are so tapped out of this conversation. Daniel does not give two shits. I don't really think about casting. Um, obviously got to have James Stewart as uh, Cassio. Oh, you're doing James Stewart from, from when in his career? Are we talking 30s James Stewart? When he's like young and a cowboy. 1930s James Stewart can be Desdemona. 1960s, no, 1950s when he was in um, 
uh, rear window. Rear window. No, not rear window. I don't want that one. I want the Vertigo one. Oh, sorry. That's Casio. God, we're splitting hairs here. Okay. Um, I want a one-man show, pretty much, is what I'm saying. The James Stewart one-man. And you want him from Five All Goes West as Othello when he's all old and tired. Exactly. Yeah, yeah very okay. good. And a, and a talking cat or something, isn't he? He's or a talking dog. Talking dog, right, okay. But you don't have a James Stewart that could play Iago. Um, no, I think he wouldn't be in it at all. We'd excise all of his lines from it. <laughs> no, no, that's the thing people do. They show you that it's quite... It's... That is the worst production Iago ever is, is, It's about madness. Iago's not even in it. It's Othello... Iago's like Othello's little kind of crazy thoughts. Fo folks, we've uh, either just witnessed genius or madness in yeah. Daniel's casting of this. Yeah. Should we get to more a bit of the analysis bit? Because one of the questions I have is... G genuinely, what is the moral of this? What are we meant to take away? At least, at least with other things, at least with Macbeth, it's beware of ambition. At least with Hamlet, it's beware of inertia. Um, don't trust people, it seems. But there are people in this that you clearly should trust and don't. Trust so. some people, not others. I think. But uh, well, yeah. yeah but how are you gonna work that out? Yeah, yeah exactly. That's the problem, though, because it Iago is the real problem with the play, isn't he? Um, in the sense that. We know that he and Othello have worked together for years. He kind of makes allusions mm. to it all the time. And suddenly he just like, it's like, I hate them all. Yeah, sure, the mall's been having sex with my wife. That's probably why I hate him. Oh, he didn't promote me. Like, we don't, there's no, what's it, Coleridge says something about motiveless malignancy. He's just kind of, he hunts for kind of mm. something to legitimize his crazy actions. And if you've got somebody like that in your, in your life who is capable of, turning anyone to the opposite opinion. Mm. You're not really, you're, just, you're in trouble, <laughs> boyo. So I, I, that seems to be the message, that just avoid the incredibly lucky sociopaths in the world. Or the message is, mind your linen and hold your liquor. Yeah. Maybe this is a play without a moral. Maybe it's not about necessarily the moral, it's about more nuanced patterns. It's about a discussion of madness, it's a discussion of trust, it's a discussion of m misanthropy and... Um, misogyny and racism. Well, that's what I was going to yeah. say, that that's the problem. I think that's why some people consider it a racist play, that if you can't find a moral in Othello's individual character, you start to wonder if it's about, well, they're all, mm -hmm. like, they're all like that, aren't they? You know, you could see why people would accuse the characterization of Othello as, if initially sympathetic, then ultimately bigoted, in the sense that there's no there's no real reason for why he should necessarily have to be a more apart from the fact that he needs to be an outsider to go to arouse some controversy in marrying Desdemona, then you're like, well, why is it that he is so easily convinced? And why is, it, you know, as Iago himself yeah. says, these Moors are quick to, you know, change their mind. Then he changes their mind. He like proves his own racism. But so he, you're kind of like, well, what's going on there? Is is, is Shakespeare a racist? Well, I mean, that that's that's the question I wanted to ask you, and this is a question that there, Daniel and I are no way going to be able to answer here. But I mean, is this a racist play? And I think the answer is. Yes and no, because it's it's a it's a very mixed, very nuanced play, and there is no one or right answer in English literature. You can it, you can certainly find evidence for extreme racism in this on the part of Shakespeare, not on the part of just characters that even Shakespeare is outing as racists. Mm. Um, but then also on the flip side, you could say actually no, especially given the time. This is a this is a hugely beneficial play. This is whatever. I suppose, in the most general sense, racism is about generalization, isn't it? And this feels a little too nuanced to be well, exactly. But they talk about generalization all the way through, don't they? Yeah. They were like, there's all the stuff about reputation, like you know, 
how are people going to see me as an individual mm. and how but by extension you know Cassie and Iago talk about reputation all the way through and Iago has a lot of different opinions on yeah. it so so I think that's part of the point isn't it that it's about playing off generalizations against particularities and the reputations of each and I think maybe Othello uh, not Othello Shakespeare is exploring those relationships the relationship between prejudiced generalizations versus individual knowledge of a, another person I wanted to talk a little bit about the issue of storytelling in this because Shakespeare is ultimately telling a story mm. from stories that he has heard and been intrigued by. But also we have Othello tells stories to Indestimona's heart. Iago tells stories to everyone, including us, constantly. Amelia, Iago's wife, he's always like, shut up, you talk too much. And people are like, she never talks, what are you on about? And then Iago not speaking at the end. So there's, there's something here, some argument here about stories being told and people, you know, telling or not telling. Desdemona's brought in before the Duke to tell her own story mm. about how she fell in love because Othello was like, I don't want to speak for my wife, let her tell her own experience, which is a, a great bit. Yeah, the power of uh, speech to cultivate the love mm. between Othello and Desdemona, but also the power of it to kind of... Undo break, everything. Yeah, and break it apart. Yeah, you're maybe kind of, that's the moral: is that the the power of storytelling is a is a big one. Yeah. Plot is important. The pen's mightier than the sword. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the other big thing in this is um, madness, which kind of also plays into the idea mm. of rhetoric. That they talk they talk a lot about madness as a kind of autonomous thing, don't they? So they talk about the green eyed monster later on. Amelia also talks about jealousy being a monster that kind of is autonomous from the person that it kind of preys upon. You know, like how paranoia meant beside the mind, like it was another mind that you had. That's that was cool. kind of bothering you. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's well, really that's cool. What, that's what it literally means. Like, we get the sense same here with jealousy. The other thing is weird that Iago's obviously mad, isn't he, as well? Like, he, yeah. this, like, oh, yeah, Othello's been with my wife. There's never. Where does that come from? That's comp Like, Iago has his. There's even a bit where Amelia says, you know, there's some squire has told Iago that I've been at it with Othello. So Iago has his own Iago. So it, it kind of goes on ad infinitum. Especially this. because if we're looking at sort of positions of power, so Othello, who's a general, has this lower ranking man Iago telling him crap, and Iago has this much lower ranking, what, like, a squire's a boy yeah. telling him this crap, then that boy probably has some toddler being like... <laughs> exactly, yeah, it's, it's going on yeah. forever and ever. Yeah, yeah. I like That's that. the same bit with Othello, like, Othello's this exotic character, and it turns, but then he gets with Desdemona for... Talking about even more exotic people, like, you know, you think I'm exciting, you should see these guys with heads inside their stomachs. There's a sense of, like, relativism throughout the play. Everything like it always reverberates back on forever. Another, yeah, 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 it's, it's um, your favourite phrase of all time, the mise en abîme. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Daniel introduced me to that phrase, and I love using it now. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, when, it's basically, it means, like, when you um, put two mirrors back to back and you can see forever into them. Or when on like a cornflakes box there's like a picture of somebody with a cornflakes box with that same picture inside it and it goes on forever. That's, I think that's the Drost effect isn't it? That was, it's, it's common in branding. But um, I'm trying so hard not to laugh through that. <laughs> Why? That's, that's a real thing. So the advice I'm going to give this week is that if you are assigned a Shakespearean text to read and you feel overwhelmed, because I, I certainly felt overwhelmed reading this. Um, watch a production of it first, and then go back and deal with the language. And this is, I think, especially th true for the comedies, but it's true for all Shakespeare, because there are a lot of in-jokes that you might not necessarily get, and 
there's a Shakespeare doesn't really give anything by way of stage directions. So the most you're going to get is this character enters, says some lines, this character exits. You're missing all of the sort of subtleties of what happens when they're saying the lines that modern playwrights put in. So watch a production of it you know, like a, a quite a mainstream production and then go back and deal with the actual language because you're going to come away with a lot of like, oh, that's the context and these are the relationships and that was a joke. That was a joke I didn't get because it had to have some sort of physical action that went along with it that made it a visual pun or whatever. Um, and I just, I think that's really helpful. Also, like, I mean, I don't want to sound like a Philistine, right, but some of the plays like Hamlet are so long most productions these days tend to cut bits and I think that's a judicious cut from time to time is not uh, a bad yeah, thing. Yeah, not a bad thing and you just got to immerse yourself in it as well. I think that's, you just got to be like... Uh, once again, Daniel's advice is just muscle through it. Yeah, I really yeah. do think that yeah. that does yeah. help, yeah. So what is the clue to the next episode? We have a text picked out. So my clue is that it's the world's most famous quote-unquote stuffy Victorian novel, which it's really not stuffy, um, to feature a scene of straight-up necrophilia. I was gonna say, read the more of Venice, prepare yourself for more moors. Well, that's giving it away. So Daniel, we uh, do we have a better sign-off this time than we did last? Fairly well, listener. <laughs> Something like that. I'm gonna. It's terrible. I don't know. We we don't have a good catchphrase yet. Oh, that's great fun. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Bye. The end. Bye. Thanks for listening to Save Me From My Shelf. Our music is The Overture to Don Giovanni by Mozart, and cover art is by Catherine Wu. Our thanks to Aston University's Centre for Critical Inquiry and to Society and Culture for funding the startup of this podcast. Contact us at savemefrommyshelf at gmail.com or at smfms underscore podcast on Twitter. And do not, I'm going to remind you, do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Do not forget. Thank you. <laughs>